More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, this is Don Marcus, one of the co-producers of Len Bias, A Mixed Legacy. We continue our series on the interviews with a discussion I was able to have with Jay Billis. Broadcaster, attorney, and former Duke Center, Jay Billis is someone who knows the Len Bias story personally and on all levels. Jay's four years with the Blue Devils coincided with Len's career in College Park, including a game at Cameron Indoor Stadium, which Bias scored a career-high 41 points. Billis speaks to how great a player Bias was, putting him in the same company with another two-time ACC Player of the Year, Michael Jordan, as well as three-time ACC Player of the Year, Ralph Sampson. Billis speaks passionately about the impact Bias's death had on himself and society, and as an attorney, he speaks to the devastating legal fallout to the lives of those incarcerated by the mandatory minimum sentencing laws following Bias's tragic death on June 19, 1986. When we spoke back in February 2020, you know, obviously you played against him. You were part of that barnstorming team. Uh, so you got to know him a little. I assume that's really where you got to know him more than any other time when you were at Duke. Um, is that true? Or did you well, know him uh, before? Well, I knew him before. I mean, we got to know each other playing against each other throughout four years of college. I didn't know him in high school simply because mm -hmm. he grew up in Maryland. I grew up in Los Angeles. So there weren't the same sort of national uh, tournaments for AAU that you have now. There are only a few of them. Uh, so the, the players didn't run into each other coast to coast as much as they do now. But yeah, we, we, we knew each other uh, and, and all my teammates knew him. Uh, right. especially the guys that grew up in the D.C. area. Yeah. Um, you, you've told the stories over the years about the um, the games against, uh, you know, the games against Duke um, and the 41-point game, um, the the uh, the uh, ACC championship game, tournament game. Um, was that, that that tournament game in 84, the, the finals, was that sort of, you know, his coming out party, I mean, in terms of this is a guy who's going to be a star or did you know it before that? We knew it before that. We knew it our freshman year. Um, yeah, he played on a, a team that had some older guys, but and probably averaged 10, 10 points a game, whatever it was his first year. But after that, um, in our sophomore year, he took off and took off right away. So, and was, was the best player and they had good players at Adrian branch and Keith Gatlin and Ben Coleman, Herman Veal, all these guys, but we knew bias was their best player. It didn't take very long to figure that out. So it wasn't that we didn't know. Um, I can't speak to what others, you know, that, that was back when national television, uh, wasn't ubiquitous. So, you know, you appeared on NBC and bias, you know, they beat us for the ACC championship. Uh, on a Sunday afternoon game and he has 26 or whatever it was and uh, was his usual Superman self. So the fact that uh, the, the, the masses may have seen him for the first time uh, wasn't a surprise to us. Mm -hmm. I mean, by, by then his game was starting to 
you know, come come together. It was not just athleticism. He he. By then, I think he he sort of had the developing of that great jump shot. He he that I saw when because I only covered him the senior year. Um, was that what made you know what made him so difficult? Is because you know in basketball, if a guy's that athletic, it usually you know a lot of those guys can't shoot. So you play off of him. He couldn't play off of him because he had such a good jump shot. So was he almost impossible once he got to that level, almost impossible to guard? Yeah, well, he was impossible to guard. And, and I mean, the truth is most players can't shoot, whether they're athletic or not. But so so that's why shooters are in such high demand and always have been. But Bias had a beautiful jump shot and always had that. His form was impeccable from day one. Uh, I, I just think, you know, the fact that back then freshmen weren't relied upon as they are now. So it was a little bit of a different era in that regard. Um, but by the time he became a sophomore and was, you know, sort of the lead dog for Maryland, um, it was a, it was an issue of confidence and them going to him. Um, so he was really more assertive uh, his sophomore year and, and beyond more than anything. It wasn't that he didn't have that jump shot as a freshman. He just wasn't assertive, an assertive player and a go-to player in that regard. Um, his, his athleticism was off the charts. Uh, and especially as a two footed jumper, he wasn't one of those, you know, kind of take off of one foot uh, guys, but off of two, um, uh, he was so powerful and graceful and, uh, elegant, uh, with, with that power, but his jump shot w- was, a, was a separating factor because he could rise. He had a high release point. He could rise up so high to get it off. He could shoot over anybody. Uh, and he had really great range. Um, you put those two things together, uh, and it's, uh, it's a hard combination to stop. And then, you know, his last two years, he made, you know, well over 80% from the free throw lines. So he couldn't foul him. Uh, I remember the, 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 the thing that struck me about that that forty one point game at, at at Cameron was the fact that Gatlin didn't play. So here he's playing without his point guard to feed him the ball, and he still gets forty one. You guys win, um, but but I know Mike has said Mike said over the years that you know it was the greatest you know performance. Or I, I don't know if he said with with performance by Jordan, but it may have been the greatest performance by a visiting player you know, in his time, whenever he said it, what, what, what memories do you have of that game and, 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 and what was going on in the huddle during that game? The memory was we couldn't stop him. Uh, we knew we were going to win. We were better than Maryland, whether, whether they had a full complement or not, we were the better team. So we knew we were going to win, but we couldn't stop him. And guys were coming back to the bench saying, I'm trying to foul him. I can't even foul him. And uh, uh, so we, we, uh, it, it, we knew how good he was. Uh, I, I don't think that, you know, during games, uh, our players were ever in awe of anyone. But after games, you, you knew, you know, you respected who could really, you know, who was separate, uh, separated and he was separated from the crowd. Um, you know, the, the, there were only a few players that I heard our best players talk about with reverence back then. Um, one was Jordan, uh, the other was bias and, and a third was Rod Strickland of DePaul. Our guards, you know, after we played DePaul, we're like Rod Strickland, man, that dude is the real deal. You know, like stuff like that, which they didn't, you know, they didn't say very often, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but those those three stood out uh, above above others. Right. Um, you know, it was almost. I mean, you know, you had the you had the game uh, with Maryland Carolina that you, I, ESPN showed last summer. Um, and and Jordan leaves and 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 bias. I mean, you guys had great players. Johnny Dawkins, great player, and Amaker and Allery. And there and there, you know, Brad Darty's in the league. Uh, you know, as a as a great player, and, and Kenny Smith. And it was an unbelievable conference of uh, you know back then. Would you say that bias just just from a you know as a, if you had to pick one guy from that that group to start, you know, if you were playing pickup, would he be in, and, and all those guys are available. Would, would, would he have been the first guy picked? Yes. I mean, he was the second guy picked in the draft and he was only picked second because Brad Darty's seven feet. And, you know, back then that was the, that was the thing. I mean, in today's game, you wouldn't hesitate to pick bias first. Um, and he was two time ACC player of the year. It's not like, you know, it was any secret. It wasn't a secret. Um, he was the best player and, uh, and we knew it. Uh, and that's why it was so exciting when he got drafted by Boston, the idea that he was going to play for the Celtics and, you know, he'd be a Hall of Fame caliber player for them. And uh, and I I believe he would have been a legitimate uh, challenger to Jordan for best player in the league. Um, that's a tall order to, to say he would have been as good or better. But I'm I believe that would have been the case. But, um, you know, it. it, it it speaks to the level of the tragedy that you have to explain to younger people how good he was and direct them to, you know, old grainy video to, to confirm it. Um, you know, it's, it's profoundly sad that, uh, that, that legacy wasn't, uh, he wasn't able to complete it because I think, I think it would have been epic and uh, and we wouldn't have to explain it. You just say, go look like you didn't have to explain it with Jordan. And maybe the young people uh, today, you know, were educated by, you know, the last dance. Uh, but there's there's no there's no record for them to to look toward in the NBA for for bias. And to just it, it the feeling never goes away of, of sadness. Mm-hmm. What was the what was that barnstorming tour like in terms of because he was I, I didn't realize this I mean it was mostly if if not all North Carolina guys uh, play, players who played at North Carolina you know at North Carolina schools I think and, well that and, was that was the majority of the ACC back then right. or at least you know but but you know there were only eight teams in the league um, so that was a there were two different barnstorming tours uh, Neil McGahey had one and. A guy named Mike Sumner had the other. Mm. Uh, so we played a lot of games. Um, we played basically after the NCAA championship game in Dallas that we played in in 1986. Uh, we played in New Bern, North Carolina that Tuesday night for for cash. And we did that the remainder of, of that month. Uh, so we, we probably played 25 nights in a row, something like that. And uh, Neil McGahey had the bigger games. So he had the games that were like uh, played at a college arena or Greensboro Coliseum, whatever it was, Lenore Ryan. Um, and then Sumner had the places that, you know, it was more the you played at the high school gym. So um, Bias and uh, Speedy Jones, those guys only played in a few of those games, uh, probably a handful. Uh, it, was, it was a longer trip for him, too. Because right. the tour was down in North Carolina, yeah. 
Um, was there any, because uh, uh, Dave had talked to um, Chris Washburn at one point, and, mm-hmm. and I think Washburn was on that tour. Mm-hmm. And, and he said that, that, he, that Bias came to his room one night with cocaine. Was there any talk back then? I mean, obviously, there was always talk of, you know, there were guys like David Thompson who were struggling, John Lucas who were struggling. And, and you know, was there ever any talk about anything going on in the ACC or with Bias or, or was when it happened on June 19th, total shock? <laughs> It was total shock for me. I didn't know uh, any of that was going on with regard to particular players. Uh, you certainly knew it was going on in society and at your school. Uh, you don't want to. You don't want to be flippant and say that was all over the place, but it was not unusual uh, to run into uh, that kind of discussion. But uh, when we were out barnstorming together, um, there weren't a lot of hotel stays. Uh, for, for us because we could get to and from games pretty easily. Uh, so we didn't have to stay overnight. So I don't recall, uh, you know, we went out a couple times with players, uh, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't an, uh, something we did often. Uh, we were playing those things for money. So we, we went, we performed, we got our money, we went home. Uh, but uh, so I didn't hear anything about, really any of those players or anything about Len Bias. There was never a hint of that to me. Um, and I understand, like, like, look, I'm not naive. I'd, I'd be surprised if, if something like that was someone's first time. But I don't, I don't know that, uh, but I don't have any, any uh, evidence to dispute it either. Right. Um, I mean, people talk about when, when they heard it, they heard the drugs were involved just because of, how good a player he was and, and the level at which he performed and what he looked like. I mean, he was, you know, you said Superman before, I mean, he looked like he, he, you know, he, he didn't look like a lot of guys back in those days because he, 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 you know, he was into weights. He, he, he had sculpted his body. Um, So did that add to the shock of it because of how he looked to you, the, the memory you had of him when it happened on June 19th, when you heard, you know, when you were out in California? It was just the overall, um, you know, bias was a, a Superman like uh, figure. So when you got the shocking, you know, the, the, the shocking news, you know, it, it wasn't because of any one thing. It was the overall uh, aura he had as a player. Um, he's just different. He was different in how good he was, uh, the way he carried himself, how he looked, the way he played, everything was sort of a, above, he had a level above uh, the overwhelming majority of guys that played and, uh, or at least that I played against and, and saw. Uh, and then, but the, 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 the shock also was the timing of it. You know, it, it's so close to something that was life-changing for, for him. Um, you know, you don't expect that ever, uh, but um, if it, I, I don't know how I would have felt if it would have been an accident or, uh, you know, some sort of automobile accident or something like that, whether you could wrap your head around a little bit more. It just seemed that, uh, you know, the, the day after the NBA draft um, and then it, it being a, a, an overdose and, and all that, it was it, it, there were so many factors to it that that 
gave you a gut punch. And, uh, and I, I don't have many things in my life where I knew exactly where I was, you know, where I was when I heard something. I, I remember that like it was yesterday. Yeah. And you said you were at in California. I remember you telling us that you were at in California. I was at home uh, at my visiting my parents right after the draft, and uh, and my mom uh, woke me up uh, and told me, and uh, you know there wasn't updates on your phone or anything back then. You heard the news off television, or radio, or the newspaper, and uh, and I was actually sleeping in in Los Angeles, and she woke me up and said, "Len Bias died." I'm like, "What?" Um, it, yeah, I, I'll never forget that. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You, you may mention before about the comparison to Jordan, at least in terms of how good a player he might have been. Um, now, there, there, you know, people, uh, Bob Ryan, we, we talked to a couple of months ago, he said, you know, he's, he, he won't put him in the Panther, he won't put him on Mount Rushmore. You know, with 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 Bird and 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 Magic and Jordan and I don't know who else he mentioned. He said he was, you know, he 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 probably would have been a James Worthy, which is not bad. But you 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 think because of who he was drafted with and where the Celtics were at that point, that you know he would have at least been some sort of rival to Jordan, and and because just just naturally the teams would have been rivals. Well, I don't, I don't know. Uh, I didn't hear Bob say that. So I don't know whether he was talking about had bias lived, he would have been as good as worthy or his talent level dictated this. What I'm saying is his talent level was Jordan-esque and, and he would, I believe, and he was a far better shooter coming out of college than Jordan was, it wasn't close. Um, I would have like, I, I believe he would have been, one of the all-time greats. And during that period, he would have been a challenger to Michael Jordan as the best player in the league. Now I, I refuse to say he would have been as good or better. I, you know, that's, that's a bridge too far for me, but he would have been a challenger. And, um, and, you know, I, I believe that down to my socks. I saw it up close. And I think the, you know, you look at, you know, the NBA, you know, what's happened to the Celtics after that? You know, and they actually made it back to the finals that year. But then that that's when everybody got old pretty quickly. And then obviously the tragedy with Reggie Lewis a few years later. Um, the the when you look at where the NBA was, um, he he would have he, he could have turned, you know, he 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 could have changed sort of the 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 uh, 
that 10, 15 year period of the NBA in terms of dominant teams and players and legacies and everything like that. Had he lived, he could have done a lot of things. That's the, that's the part of this that is uh, the most confounding is the, the, what could have been part, Um, you know, it, 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 and, but back then, you know, that was the drug era. I mean, the 1986 draft, you know, sadly, Len Bias wasn't the only one that drugs ruined. Uh, you know, William Bedford, Roy Tarpley, Chris Washburn. I mean, there was a long laundry list of, of players uh, that didn't suffer the same kind of tragedy as Len, but that had tragic outcomes, uh, or at least profoundly sad outcomes to their careers because of, of drug use. Yeah. Um, you, you, when we spoke to you back in, in, in 2020, um, you talked very passionately. I mean, I, I, I almost felt like you, there, there were, you know, there were tears, uh, you know, that's how emotional you seem to be about this whole issue of the drug laws and how it all went back to, you know, biases death in terms of the way politicians used his death to promote their, you know, legislation. Um, did you, did you get a sense of that at the time or because obviously you were going to law school, you were, you know, you were going to start your career as a lawyer at some point, or, or is that something that you, you sort of, as, as you studied it over the years and saw how it evolved that, you know, it, it, it is, it is a terrible byproduct of, of his, you know, of his death. A little bit of both um, mostly the latter that uh, the results of it, uh, have, have been particularly tragic. Um, when I think the, the, it, it, it almost becomes cl- cliche to say that, that while Len Bias's death was tragic, he probably saved a lot of lives, uh, with the story. Um, I don't believe that at all. I, I, I would love it to be true, but it's not, um, in my view, uh, Len Bias's death led to, uh, profound misery, heartache, and, and tragedy for untold amounts of Americans. And that's because of federal drug sentencing laws, mandatory sentencing, uh, which affected largely African-American defendants. Um, so you've had people for you know, minimal drug crimes languishing in prison for years and years uh, for no good. Um, the federal mandatory sentencing, um, even to this day, ha- has been a horrible outcome uh, for, for America and for, for so many Americans and largely African-American. And I, I can't think of, of anything more tragic than you pile onto a tragedy with multiple tragedies that have tentacles that uh, keep going out, you know, families being ruined. I mean, it's awful. It's awful. And it's a stain. Uh, it's a stain on our government and those decisions and the fact that we haven't as a country been able to um, view it uh, objectively and say, this is wrong. We need to change this. Um, I, I it, it always saddens me thinking about it. 
do, do you think now, uh, given where we are politically in this country, given, you know, obviously, you know, we're still coming out or we're in the middle of a pandemic. We're still, we're not even, you know, I thought we were coming out of it. And now with, with this new Delta variant, it looks like we're back going back in it. Um, do, do you think w there's a, there's going to be um a, a push to get rid of these mandatory minimums or is it or or do we have so many other things that we have to deal with at this point that it's still going to be um you know something that we're going to be fighting for you know trying to trying to re rectify and, and and right the wrong yeah it's a big topic big issue and there are so many so many layers to it i think the the short answer for me is i don't i'm not optimistic we're going to we're going to make substantial progress in the short run. Um, it's been going on a long time, and there has been uh, some some progress uh, over the the last several years. But um, I, you know, I, we're a, we're a country that incarcerates. I mean, nobody incarcerates like we do. Uh, the answer is, you know, for many is just lock lock them up, and um, I, and I, I think it's profoundly wrong. Uh, but you know, am I confident that our government? Uh, both state and federal, but especially federal with federal drug crimes, we're, we're going to be able to, you know, look at the damage that's been done and, uh, and not, not just reverse it, but at least try to stem the tide of it. Uh, I, I don't have a lot of confidence that we'll do that in a, in an efficient way. Yeah. Um, I, I spoke before about the last summer, um, we're in the middle of the last dance, uh, ESPN did a 30, a three hour sort of remembering Len Bias. Um, and you spoke about how kids today, you know, a lot of them don't even know who Bias was. They maybe heard the name. Why, why 35 years later, are we still talking about this guy? Uh, there's interest in this guy. I mean, I told you know, talked about the uh, uh, Ringer doing a podcast this, uh, this, this year on him. Uh, why, why is it, why do you think there's so much issue? Is it, is it, is it almost because he's, he's sort of a large, you know, larger in death than in life figure as, a, as actors and singers and other people have been? That's a really good question. Uh, I think it's another thing that's, that's layered. It's multi-layered. I would say similar to, uh, you know, we, we may still harken back to the, you know, 1919 Chicago White Sox scandal or Pete Rose or things like that, that uh, it was, it was sort of the idea of true greatness that was derailed uh, by a, a profound tragedy. And it, it wasn't just Len Bias was a great player because he was an amazing, amazing player. Not that that's not enough to be remembered for all this time. Uh, but then uh, on the, you know, at, right after uh, this crowning achievement of being drafted by the Boston Celtics after a, a, a fabulous Hall of Fame career in college, he dies. And on top of that, it's not just that he tragically passed away. He passed away from uh, drug use that was a, a scourge on our on our communities at the time. And, you know, it, it just the profound sadness of all of that, um, you know, it, it's, there's, it, it just hits you on a different level. So I think all those things combined, the what might have been aspect of it, um, 
the timing of it, um, it, it, it just, it captures like the, the people who knew him uh, feel it obviously on a different level. The people who watched him understand what he was as a player. And then uh, it, it just, I, I can't tell you how often I get asked uh, even now, w w was he really all that? Like how good was he? And you wind up, you know, talking on a golf course to somebody and, um, you know, it's like, it's like you saw, like, like I saw Babe Ruth play or something. Um, you, know, you, you wind up talking about it a lot. I, I, I think it's those three things first and foremost, though, that, that uh, keeps his, his memory alive in that profound way. Uh, there may be other things, but, um, you know, it's, it's, I'll never, I'll never stop thinking about it. There'll, there'll never be a time when, you know, the draft, the draft passes and I won't think about, you know, Len Bias died right, right about now. Um, it'll, that'll always be a, a milestone. Uh, just like my, for my parents, they remember exactly where they were when they learned that, that president Kennedy was assassinated in 1963. I'll, I'll always remember where I was when I learned that Len Bias died. Uh, I wish Dave was here. He, he, um, when he wrote the book, he started something called the uh, the Born Ready Project, and he spoke at schools about decision making. And we're working with a group here uh, that you know, teaches young people how to make good decisions and things like that. Is is bias thirty five years later still somebody who they could relate to? You know his story, or or in this generation, do you have to find somebody else who's made a mistake? I mean, it, it, how, how, how much, you know, how long will his legacy go on in that regard in terms of if you can use him as a cautionary tale? Well, you can always use, use him and others as a cautionary tale, but it doesn't work. Um, it, I think it might work for a, a couple of people here and there. Um, but uh, it, it's just like right, right after <clears throat> Len Bias died, you know, Don Rogers died. Uh, the former UCLA defensive back, and um, you know that, and that that was another part of this this whole thing uh, with with federal drug sentencing laws, all of those things. Um, you know, how many cautionary tales are there out there uh, about not just about drug use, but about drinking, about you know driving too fast, all these things. Um, you know, does it work? I don't know. I don't. I, I don't think it did with with drug use. I mean, that's a, that's a whole, whole different ball game where, where you're talking about addiction. Uh, you can use cautionary tales. They, they try them all the time with, I, you can't turn your TV on without seeing ads about the evils of smoking. And does it really stop people from smoking when they're addictive, uh, uh, addictive properties to it? I, I don't know the answer. I'm, I'm maybe I'm a little more cynical uh, about that kind of thing. Um, Cause we've all sat through those. And I think the people it resonates with are the ones that wouldn't do it in the first place. Um, I don't know. I, I, I wish I were more optimistic about, uh, about, you know, the cautionary tale stuff. I just don't think the data shows that, uh, that it's doing a hell of a lot of good. How much did you pay attention? And obviously by the time uh, Maryland had won the national championship in basketball, you were, you were in the midst of your, your, your broadcasting career. And, or, or, or maybe not. Let me let me think. When did no? You were definitely. Yeah, um, I was. 
No, I'm just trying that. to think how many years you were on the bench at Duke and then law school. Three. And everything. Okay. Yeah, I was there yeah, for so, so when you look at what Maryland did and what happened in Maryland after bias, I mean, it, it took it, you know, they, you know, they hire Bob, you know, lefty, lefty leaves. They hire Bob Wade. Gary comes in and, and then they go on probation and, and it takes them a while. How much do you think bias's death, you know, impacted that? And and how big an achievement do you think it is for Maryland to have overcome that? Um, and, and maybe other schools have done that as well with other situations, whether it's probation or a tragedy. But how, how remarkable achievement was it for Gary to do what he did? Well, I mean, Maryland suffered uh, an unspeakable trauma with Bias's death, and the reaction was swift and far-reaching. Uh, a lot of people lost their careers uh, over that. Uh, or at least had their careers derailed and sent in a completely different direction. Uh, didn't mean they didn't they didn't move forward and and pick up some pieces and all that, but it was it was a trauma, and it was a trauma that lasted for a long, long time. Uh, just like whether you know you look at Penn State, uh, that that the trauma that Penn State suffered and the reaction to that, which you know in some cases, and I think in Maryland's was an overreaction. Um, but, uh, all the same, you know, they, they, they over, you could argue that it was an overcorrection and overreaction. Uh, and it, it put them, you know, they were in a hole and they, they started digging once they got in it, uh, which is not a good idea. But when Gary Williams came in, you had somebody who was clear eyed and, and had a, a mission and understood the, the issue. And, and it was a, it was a wonderful, um, wonderful job that he did of, of establishing Maryland as a national power uh, in, a, in a league full of entrenched power. Uh, so he, he put the program on a better footing than it had ever been on before. And it had been on a pretty darn good footing uh, in, the, in the 70s and 80s. Uh, what I would say, though, you know, it's, I don't know, it's, it's, it's interesting. When, when I was broadcasting uh, in the I would say late '90s, uh, early 2000s. Um, Maryland was not fond of a person like me mentioning Len Bias on the air, and I actually had some media relations people come to me and said, "We'd really appreciate it if you wouldn't wouldn't talk about Bias on the air." They didn't want they didn't want it discussed. It was still a, a an open wound uh, for for the university and the program, and it was. Um, even though it had been so many years, um, it, it was still something they felt like was uh, dragged people's minds to an area they didn't want it to be in. And, and I, I, I said, no, I mean, I talked, I mentioned it or talked about bias or whatever, where it was appropriate. And, uh, and so I'm not, I mean, I mean, you can, you can certainly ask me not to do it, but I'm, I'm doing, I'm going to say what I want to say. And if you got a problem with that, you can talk to my bosses. Um, that, that really pissed me off uh, when, when, and it was coming from a good place, I believe. Uh, and the people that asked were, were, you know, I still interact with and love, but I, uh, that, that, that pissed me off pretty good. I, I didn't like that. And, and, you know, to that point, it took till 2014 for him to be uh, elected to the Maryland Athletic Hall of Fame. You know, I remember a few years ago, they, they I saw that they had a biases picture on a ticket. 
And it was the first time I had ever seen any re- mention this. I, this might've been pre before he got into the hall of fame and with Ke- when Kevin Anderson was there as the AD. And it was the first time that they ever, you know, they ever sort of acknowledged him. Uh, and then they gave him, you know, so it was really, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm not surprised to hear that, you know, it was almost like they were embarrassed by, what happened as opposed to saying it was, you know, it, it, it was, it was a total, it was a tragedy. I mean, he did it to himself, but it was still a tragedy. Yeah. And it wasn't, I, I think it went deeper that they were embarrassed about it. I think it, it went more to, um, you know, the fact that uh, they wanted to separate from it. There were so many people that were injured by it. They cleaned house. You know, I remember the getting rid of John Slaughter, all that stuff. So there were a lot of a lot of layers to it. And 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 again, I mean, it was a trauma. You know, it wasn't just that somebody, you know, somebody that had gone to school there and been prominent had had sadly passed away. It was a it was a traumatic thing. And the trauma kept going. And and it was like a uh, again, there were tentacles of it that grabbed everyone and uh, and took a lot of people down as a result, including lefty Drazami. I mean, we can count up all the people. I mean, it was, it was profoundly sad, but there were also, there are also a lot of people out there and, and look, I'm, I'm not going to argue with, with how people feel about things, but you know, there are things that, that were said uh, that I heard that really upset me. And one of them was when, uh, when Jay bias tragically died, I heard someone say uh, about uh, their mother that, Maybe if she weren't out giving speeches all the time, she would have been able to, to do something about, about that. I'm like, how could you say that? Where's the empathy and compassion for, for the, the horrible tragedy suffered? Um, you know, it, like, so you, you don't want their, their mother to be out trying to help it. Like, like to your point, trying to help uh, educate young people that, you know, you need to avoid this, you know, the cautionary tale aspect of that. Um, and it's not that that wasn't the only thing I heard in, in that vein. And, um, and, you know, you just kind of shake your head going, where, where does this kind of, of mean spirited stuff come from? Um, uh, and that, that's kind of to my point earlier about, um, being cynical about, um, uh, his, his death being, a, you know, positive in, in other people's lives. I just, I've seen it just as a, as a horrible traumatic negative, uh, that had far reaching negative consequences. And, uh, and it should not have, um, we, we could have avoided doing, you know, like doing these things, like these federal said, like the, the action that Congress took or the actions, um, just awful. I mean, it's just awful. And, uh, and I'll, I'll always, I'll always be saddened by, by that. And the fact that his, his passing wasn't just a tragedy that we lost one great person. We, we lost a lot of great people because of that. Len Bias, a mixed legacy. The interviews was produced by Dave Ungrady and Don Marcus. Len Bias, a mixed legacy is distributed by the Eight Side Network. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny. 
the warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.